And I'm sitting there thinking, what is this guy thinking of me? I mean, I'm just unloading all those horrible things. And he's just got this smile on his face. And when I get done, he goes, okay, I got four things I want you to do. I'm like, okay. He goes, I want, can, can you do one prayer a day? Like kind of like what you did when you're in that closet. Can you just do one a day? And I go, yeah, I think I can do that. And then he hands me a set of scriptures. He goes, have you ever read, read these before? I said, never. He goes, I want you to read one verse a day. And I honestly, Richard, I didn't know what a verse was. Hmm. He, he goes, I go, what's a verse? <laughs> I swear. So he grabs it, pulls it up. This is a verse. I go, I, I think I can do that. <laughs> and then he goes, I want to meet with you every week for one year. And I go, I can't do that. <laughs> and he goes, we're going to take it a week at a time, but I want to meet with you every week for a year. And what I didn't realize is this guy ended up becoming my rehab. This is before there was rehabs on every street corner. And I didn't realize it at the time, but this guy became my rehab. Then he goes, the fourth thing I need you to do, I need you to be honest with me every time we meet. I go, okay, I understand that. I just told you everything, but what do you mean? He goes, he goes, if you get high, if you cheat, if you steal, if you do anything, just tell me. And I said, you know what? I can do that. So I start meeting with this guy every week. And every week I meet with him. Yep, I got drunk. I got high every day this week, or I stole this. Um, I stole another 50 bucks from my dad, um, you know, and this goes on. And it takes me eight and a half months before I could tell him I made it three days clean. Before we get any further, I want to say a huge thanks to everyone who not only listened to the 600th episode celebration, but to everyone who participated, whether they knew it or not, uh, to all the emails that I got, contact at theculturalhall.com, the messages that I got on Patreon, on all of the social medias at The Cultural Hall, where people said, this is so great, where people said, keep it going, and all the encouraging, awesome things that uh, people shared with me. It means a lot. Uh, I think it's huge that we've made it this far, and who knows how long we'll go. I appreciate uh, that week over week, everyone dedicates and gives time to listen to each of the episodes. It's a lot of work, a lot of time on my behalf, and I'm grateful to do it. I'm also grateful to the folks that uh, that put a little money, that throw some money this way and say, hey, you know what? This is not only a value for my time, but also value of my hard-earned money. Uh, I do not take it lightly, and so thank you to all of you who do that as well. Uh, if this is your first episode of The Cultural Hall, wow, you, where have you been for 600 episodes over a decade? Well, you came here for Todd Sylvester, so let's get to it. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall. I am excited for this episode. In fact, there's no way that we can get in all the information that we need to within this time. So normally I just sort of meander through this first part, Todd, uh, but I want to get right to it. Todd Sylvester is my guest. He is one of three people putting good out in the internet. The rest of us are a bunch of bums littering <laughs> it with things that are wastes of time, uh, things that are uninspiring, etc. But Todd is one who inspires people to be better. Todd, your story is one of redemption, uh, one of the lowest lows, and what I think to be, uh, you would probably assume to be the highest highs, but it just keeps getting higher. For people who have no idea who you are, Will you tell us a little bit about yourself and your journey? Yeah, absolutely. And, and thanks for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. It's, a, it's an honor to always be in a position to share my story. Um, I'm very grateful and very blessed. Um, I really shouldn't be here. And so I feel like I have a responsibility to help and give back because of some amazing things that happened to me that turned my life around. Um, I was 
Uh, I was a drug addict for almost 10 years. I've been clean for 32 years. And um, I'm a mental fitness coach is what I would call myself at this point. Um, and I've been doing that for that uh, amount of time as well. And so I've been in a position to to, to be on a, a lot of people's journey of overcoming their own addictions or anxiety and depression and you name it. And so I've been on this road for a long time and I'm just grateful, like I said, for the opportunity to come share some things with you guys that hopefully will you know, be beneficial to you and your listeners. Now, when you talk about that, you maybe shouldn't be here. Was it an, an issue of an overdose or why do you feel like you shouldn't be here? That's kind of a bold statement. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, overdosed a few times and also was getting ready to end my own life. And that's when I had something miraculous happen. I, uh, and I, you know, if I can get into that, that would Please, be great. I would love it. So basketball was a big part of my life growing up. That was my passion. I wanted to get a college scholarship. I, I had dreams of playing in college and, and I also had dreams of playing in the NBA. You know, when you're a little kid, you think you can do anything. Mm -hmm. And so I really worked my butt off and basketball was where I was going to hook my life to. And, if you were to ask me back then, who are you? I would have said, absolutely a basketball player, no questions asked. And that's where I was headed. And so, um, but, you know, going back to my earlier years, I took my first sip of alcohol when I was 11 and then started smoking pot when I was 13. Can I ask, how, how does that happen as an 11 year old? Because I think everyone yeah. knows that they're going to have that opportunity. Their kids will have that choice to make. But at 11, maybe I'm naive. That seems like that's pretty young. Very young, and I just had the opportunity. My my dad uh, had a wet bar uh, in our basement, and you know my dad would have drinks from time to time, and my parents threw parties at our house. I just kind of grew up around it, and both my parents worked. And so one day, me and my little brother, who was three years younger than me, hmm. um, we went behind the wet bar one day and started taking some sips of the of the alcohol that was uh, stored there. And I didn't get drunk at 11, but I just kind of fell in love with the rush. I knew this was wrong, but it was like, there was a part of it. It's like, Ooh, I want to want to kind of keep doing this kind of thing. And so that's, that's how it started at 11. And then 13 is when I had a friend introduce marijuana to me and I fell in love with it, honestly. And I just, I had this all or nothing mentality when I was growing up and I was all in and I started doing every drug under the sun I, I played high school basketball. Um, I played at Brighton High School. And we had a really good run where uh, three out of, or two out of the three years that I was there, we took state. The year we didn't, we took second. Mm -hmm. um, the senior year, I was voted team captain with two other guys. And we just had a great run. But uh, during my high school, that's when things got you know really out of hand. And by the time I was a senior, um, I was suicidal. I was doing every drug under the sun. Um, we took state, like I said, my senior year, the state final game, I played the best game of my life. I don't know why everything just kind of came together that night. Mm -hmm. A week later, I got offered a full ride scholarship, which was fantastic. And then when I had that in my hand, I thought, wow, okay, I've got that. And that's when the party and the, and the drug abuse and, and alcohol abuse got way out of hand at that point. And halfway during the summer, I was practicing with the team after I had graduated that I got the scholarship with. Um, the coach pulls me into his office and asked me, you know, he just said, what's going on? And I knew when he said that I was in trouble because I wasn't playing well mentally, spiritually, physically, I was a complete mess. Mm -hmm. And I just said, you know, coach, I know I'm not playing well, but I'll try harder. And he said, you know, Todd, um, there's other kids that have walked on that want to, you know, want this more than you. And I don't know what's going on, but I hate to do this, but I'm taking away your scholarship. Ooh. 
Yeah. And when that happened, um, I just, you know, became this depressed, angry drunk, uh, still having suicidal thoughts. I ended up trying out several other colleges here in Utah and out of the, out of the state, got cut from every single one of them. And then um, found myself living in a home down Orem with five other guys in this party house. Hmm. I was attempting to go to school, but I wasn't going to class. So I was failing everything. And I'm a full-blown addict at this point and um, very depressed. And um, one day it hits me, basketball is no longer a part of your life. And so I decided I was going to end my life. And so I planned my suicide. Hmm. And uh, that's, you know, kind of up to that point. That's what was going on in my life. How being in high school and being, I mean, first of all, underage, it's a, an incredible feat, not one that I'm showing adoration for, but to be able to continue to get drinks and drugs as an underage person. I mean, that that's a pretty remarkable thing to have occurred, but even more remarkable, and maybe this is some sort of uh, wrongful adoration, like to be able to lead the life where you are the basketball star and greatest game of your life, right? That's one hand. Yeah. And on the other hand, all of these things that, you know, would would stand to reckon or to wreck that in the future. How how are you able to balance that or even lead that life? Was it was there the self-loathing and self-hatred of like, I know I shouldn't be doing this, but I feel like I have to. And so that what that's what drove you to excellence. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, to be honest with you, it's very easy to get drugs and alcohol. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but mm. you know, it's just simple. It's mm. just one of those things. Once you're kind of in that world, it's just easy to get. Um, but everything was fine, at least in my own mind until my senior year, my senior year is when, when I could tell something was really wrong with me. I felt depressed. I felt anxious. I felt less than I, I started hating myself, like you were saying. And so it wasn't really till my senior year is when that's when the, the, the mental part of it, the emotional part where I was really struggling, uh, came in. And so, um, but I didn't put it together with the drug use. I was, I just thought something was wrong with me, hmm. which there obviously was at that point, but I didn't tie it together with the drug use and the party. And so I, I was just like, man, I don't know what's going on. Like my coaches, my friends, even my family were going, what is going on? Are you okay? And I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Hmm. And so, yeah, it was just one of those back and forth things, but it really didn't hit me until like my senior year. So then take me to that moment. You find out or you have the reckoning within your mind. Hey, you know what? This basketball thing, this this thing that I that is my identity. Yeah, that's no longer the path that I'm walking on. And and you said, well, then I just I don't I don't want to walk the path. Let's pick it back up there. Yeah, well, identity is everything. If you don't know who you are, you're you're going to struggle. And it's one of the best, best questions we need to be able to answer. And it's one of the things I teach my clients to this very day is who they are. Because I used to, like I said, I would tell you I'm a basketball player. And when that identity was going to be ripped from me because of my own behaviors, it was a very scary feeling because I thought, if I can't do that, then there's no reason to live. And so I, I plan to end my life. And this was, I, I'll, I'll never forget, it was a Thursday when I had thought, had this kind of an aha moment when I was going to be, I'm done. And then Friday comes and I'm leaving my home down uh, in Orem where I was living with those five guys at Party House. And as I was getting ready to get on the freeway, right next to the freeway at the time was Utah Valley Community College, mm -hmm. which is now uh, Utah Valley University. It was a two-year college back then. And 
me and my friends would go to the lunchroom and sit, you know, and just kind of socialize. We had this specific table we'd always sit at. And so at this time, it had to have been around lunchtime because I thought, you know what, I'm going to go in there first and kind of almost like a goodbye to my friends. Um, And I go and I sit in this. So I pull in there, I go and sit at this table. I'm in my own head thinking about what I'm going to go home and do. And everyone's in their own conversations. And there's these two uh, religious girls, LDS girls sitting next to me. And these two girls, for whatever reason, would always come sit at our table. And they, I, we don't know why, because we didn't like, you know, they weren't living the life that we were. And um, this particular day, when I'm thinking about going into my life, I overhear these two girls talking about fasting and prayer. And I had never heard that before. I, w- I, I wasn't raised religious. We didn't go to church. We didn't talk about God. I didn't believe in God. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some reason, the word fasting really hit me hard. I, didn't, I knew what prayer was, but I didn't know what fasting was. And I didn't dare say anything at the table. And these two girls stand up and take off, probably heading to class. And so, so I, I stand up and I start following them, thinking I'm going to ask them what they were just talking about. So I tap them on the shoulder. I'm nervous. My heart's kind of pounding. And I said, hey, were, were you guys just talking about fasting and prayer? And they're like, well, why do you want to know? <laughs> they were thinking, why, you know, because I used to be like really kind of mean to these girls about their religion and the way they live their lives. And, and I said, no, I'm serious. I really want to know what is that? I don't even know what it is. And they said, well, in our religion, we, we fast once a month. We, we start with a prayer. We go the whole day without food and water. And then we end with a prayer. And as they're saying this to me, I'm going, Sounds ridiculous. <laughs> I really did. I thought, and I asked him, well, what's the point? And one of the girls said, if you want help from God. Hmm. And when she said it like that, I don't know how to explain it, man. That hit me in the heart so hard. I thought, is there a God and would God help me? I didn't say anything to those girls. I, as I walked away, though, I just told them, thanks for telling me. I walked away. And as I walked away, I thought, you know what? I'm going to try this. I just thought, you know what, I, I I do need help. And is there a God is what I kind of was thinking. And I thought, I'm going to try this. And so instead of going home and ending my life, I went back to that party house I was living in. And so now it's Saturday. And I get up, I go into this teeny little coat closet, because I didn't want my roommates to see what I was doing. There's coats in the closet. So I literally have to get on my knees. And I just said, God, if you're there, I need help. That's all I said. I'm not kidding you. That was it. Mm-hmm. And I made it till about noon. Um, I didn't get drunk. I didn't snort a line. I didn't smoke a bowl. I didn't do anything that morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, if any of your listeners have ever fasted before, you can get a little cranky, you know, sure. and I wasn't doing drugs or drinking that morning. And I was really in a bad mood. Even my roommates were like, what's up? What's up with you? And I'm like, nothing, because I didn't want to know what I was doing. The girls said, end with a prayer. So I went back into that same closet and I ended the fast with a prayer. I said, God, I did this fast. If you're there, I need help. And being naive of this whole thing, I thought if God's real, he's going to show up right now. And nothing happened. And to be honest with you, I was really upset and I ended up getting wasted again. Hmm. uh, I didn't go in my life, but I was still going back and forth with, should I go in my life? No, maybe I shouldn't. And it was just, I went back and forth for the next month. And then I got a phone call from a friend of mine who I played basketball with at Brighton, who he went on a mission. He was now back married, you know, living his life and doing what, you know, what, you know, people who aren't doing drugs do. <laughs> and 
he calls me out of the blue and says, Hey, Todd, where are you at? And I told him where I was living at the time down in with those guys. And he goes, Hey, I'm, I'm really close to you. Would you come over? I'd love to catch up with you. So I said, yeah, absolutely. So I go over to his place. Uh, we sit down um, and we're just kind of just catching up because we hadn't talked since high school and we're doing, you know, just kind of weather talk. And then he starts saying all these good things about me. Like he goes, Todd, you're going to help so many people in your life. You're going to make a difference. Um, and he kept saying, you're going to help kids over and over. It was weird. And, you know, when someone pays you a compliment and you feel awkward, it's because you don't believe it. Right. And he was sharing all these things. And I finally just stopped him and I said, Hey, I don't know why you're telling me these things, but my life is a mess. So I appreciate it if you'd stop. <laughs> and he goes, Todd, he goes, I didn't go to work today because there is a message I need to share with you. And I'm like, what's going on here? Yep. You know, what, I can tell. Oh, pa- go ahead. Yeah, pausing real quick. Was this the nature of how your guys' relationship was before? Or is this completely out of the blue for him to be this nature of a person with you? You know, he was just a good guy. Mm-hmm. And he was uh, the team, one of the team captains with me my senior year. Okay. He, was, he was a true leader. Um, I always looked up to him because the way he lived his life, he... He was just that guy that everyone kind of wanted to be like amazing athlete. He was the state uh, 4A MVP. Um, He was just an amazing person. And so, yeah, I looked up to him in that way, but he never really was like, like this kind of conversation we never really had. So this was like way, this conversation was way out of the ordinary. Okay. So you tell him, all right, listen, I appreciate it, but not really feeling it. Is this why I'm here? What's going on? Yeah, exactly. And I can tell he's kind of a little nervous now and there's this long pause. And then he finally takes this deep breath and he looks me in the eye and he said, Todd, I, the Lord came to me last night and said, we need you on our side today. Hmm. And when he said those words, you know how your mind can rewind back to moments. It went back to when I was in that closet asking God for help in this fast I was doing. And I tell him, I go, man, I fasted for help about a month ago. And he looks right at me. He goes, this is your help. And it was just, I don't, I don't know how to explain this, Richard, but it's like, I felt this love like I've never felt before in my entire life, head to toe in every cell in my body. And I'll be honest with you, as good as it felt, it actually scared me. I never had felt this. I was like, man, is this real? Mm-hmm. And it just, it was so surreal. And, and so that opened up this door of me meeting with a bishop uh, that he led me to. And, and we can get into all that story too. But of course. Uh, we had, when we had this moment, it was just like blown away. And I was telling Rich at the time, man, my life is a mess. I'm, a, I'm addicted to drugs and alcohol and I can't stop. And he, at this point, became my mentor. And he's been my mentor for 32 years. And, and uh, it was just one of those surreal moments, you know. I think this is a great place. Let's take a break real quick. When we come back, I want to find out. So now you have this, this uh, essentially, this message from God, which is great. Yeah. But then there's action that has to go with it. God's not clearing the path and saying, here we go, Todd. E- yeah. Easy street from here on out. So I want to know a little bit about that journey. We'll come back and do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. I uh, want to give a shout out right now, uh, Megan, that is uh, listener Megan. I'm not sure if she's a lifer or a convert here at the Cultural Hall, uh, but she heard me talk about how I do uh, podcast consulting and said, you know what, there's a thing, a, a thing that's been burning inside of me, and I want to be able to share and do this podcast. So she reached out to me and said, hey, what about this? And we're right smack in the middle of that class as I record this. 
And uh, it's fun to hear her start to do interviews and be able to receive that coaching and me be able to walk alongside her and say, yes, this is great. I love what you're doing here. Oh, you may want to think about doing this a little bit differently. And uh, just being able to, to help and nurture and be able to share the things that she feels like she's you know truly God called to share. So if you've got something burning inside you, you're thinking, you know what, I've, I've thought about doing a podcast, but is it that easy? Uh, you can reach out to me. I'm Richie T. Stedman on all the social medias, or you can just drop into the DMs for the cultural hall. I answer those too. Uh, would love to hear from you and work with you uh, as you work on your newest, latest, and greatest project. Hi friends, Dan, the laptop man here from PC Laptops with breaking news. Windows 11 is now here. It's fast and it's beautiful. So let's make sure your computer's ready to run it. Bring your PC into any PC Laptops right now at PCLaptops.com. PCLaptops.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, it's important that if you want to show your financial support for the Cultural Hall, that you do that. Don't just keep wishing that you did that. Actually, take the action to do that. You can go to Patreon.com forward slash the Cultural Hall. It gets you a few perks. One is it gets you to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group where other uh, Patreon saints are hanging out. We have back uh, end conversations about various episodes, uh, things that we liked in the episode or things that we didn't get to talk more about. You can find that there. Uh, also, you get to see the video from each of the episodes when they're recorded. Like, for example, if you are not a Patreon saint, you don't get to see the awesome quote that Todd has behind him in vinyl. Todd, don't tell him what it says. Don't tell them what it says. They have to become a uh, Patreon saint to be able to check that out. So do it. Patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. So, Todd, it's, it's a, a fascinating thing to, if we just stop and recap, right? You have, in the eyes of some folks, probably a life worth envying, right? You're a good looking gentleman who's talented <laughs> in basketball, right? Charismatic. People want to be around you. You've got to know that about yourself. Uh, yeah. On the basketball team, which is a big deal in high school, you know, you're getting this college scholarship. Some people looking on would be like, man, that Todd, he's got to figure it out. He's always partying, having a great time. He's doing all these things. Inwardly, you're like, what a train wreck of a life this is. You pray yeah. and ask God, and as we often find and read in the scriptures, when you ask God, he's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to give it to you, but are you going to like what I give to you? Yeah. And then that's where we kind of pick this up is is you get a miracle, and I think your friend's name is Rich. Yep. And yeah. then he leads you to a bishop. So I'd love to know how a, a non-religious <laughs> raised guy interacts with a bishop. Yeah, it's a great question. And and I really was internally, I was a mess. You know, every kid growing up at one point or another is very insecure. Mm -hmm. I was a very insecure, shy kid. And I put on a mask around my friends that everything was fine. But going on internally, I wanted to be dead. And when I had this experience with Rich, um, he we sat there and I was like, well, you know, basically almost like now what this is a great great experience we're having here. And he says, well, I want you to go meet with a bishop, your bishop. And I says, well, I don't have a bishop. And he goes, you do, you just don't know it. <laughs> and he spends 45 minutes. Uh, you got to remember this before cell phones on with the phone on the wall. And he um, on there for 45 minutes and tracks down who my bishop would be back where my parents lived in Willow Creek. And he gets me this appointment with this guy named Bishop Taylor. And I look at Rich, I'm like, why do I need to go see this guy? And he goes, you need to tell him everything you've been doing. I'm like, there's no way. <laughs> yeah. 
And Rich is one of those guys that will make you commit. He'll, you know, he got in my face and said, you better promise me you show up. And okay. I said, okay, I'll go. And so I go, I pull into this church parking lot. I see one car there and I'm like, oh boy, I do not want to do this. But I thought I'll go in there. I'll listen to what this guy has to tell me. And then I'm out of there. I'll, sp- I'll, I'll be there five minutes. Mm-hmm. So I go into this guy's office, Bishop Taylor, and he just sits down and goes, okay, tell me why you're here. And doesn't say another word. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. And I, I tell him kind of, I tell him what happened with Rich and I and our experience with my fast. And as I start telling him, I end up unloading on this guy and I tell him everything that I've been doing, the drugs, the drinking, the, the manipulation, the cheating, the horrible things I was doing with girls, my, the stealing from my parents, um, all these things. And I just, I, mean, I don't know what it was. I just unloaded. I ended up spending three hours in this guy's office. Wow. And I'm sitting there thinking, what is this guy thinking of me? I mean, I'm just unloading all these horrible things. And he's just got this smile on his face. And when I get done, he goes, okay, I got four things I want you to do. I'm like, okay. He goes, I want, can, can you do one prayer a day? Like kind of like what you did when you're in that closet. Can you just do one a day? And I go, yeah, I think I can do that. And then he hands me a set of scriptures. He goes, have you ever read, read these before? I said, never. He goes, I want you to read one verse a day. And I honestly, Richard, I didn't know what a verse was. Mm. He, he goes, I go, what's a verse? <laughs> I swear. So he grabs it, pulls it up. This is a verse. And I go, I, I think I can do that. <laughs> And then he goes, I want to meet with you every week for one year. And I go, I can't do that. And he goes, we're going to take it a week at a time, but I want to meet with you every week for a year. And what I didn't realize is this guy ended up becoming my rehab. This is before there was rehabs on every street corner. And I didn't realize it at the time, but this guy became my rehab. Then he goes, the fourth thing I need you to do, I need you to be honest with me every time we meet. I go, okay, I understand that. I just told you everything, but what do you mean? He goes, he goes, if you get high, if you cheat, if you steal, if you do anything, just tell me. And I said, you know what? I can do that. Hmm. So I start meeting with this guy every week and every week I meet with him. Yep. I got drunk. I got high every day this week, or I stole this. Um, I stole another 50 bucks from my dad. Um, you know, and this goes on and it takes me eight and a half months before I could tell him I made it three days clean. Wow. And I'll be honest with you, I had this voice in my head that was still telling me, you're pathetic, you're not going to be able to do this, you're no good. You know, we all have this negative voice, and this voice was loud, and I'm still struggling. Um, I, de- I need to mention I was a bartender, oh, geez. At this point, which is not a good idea when you're trying to stop drinking. Yeah, that, uh, that, that is a hard way of going about it. Not impossible, but seems yeah. to make it a little harder than it may need to be. Exactly. And as a bartender, I'd get tips from the waiters and waitresses because I would give, I'd make the drinks for their customers. And then anyone that would sit at the bar, I'd get tips from them as well. And I'd get a lot of, uh, you know, change, quarters, nickels, and dimes. And I'd keep this change in the cup holders of my car. And about this eight and a half month mark, when I'm really struggling, but I had made it three days clean, I'm pulling out of my neighborhood on a Saturday, beautiful, sunny day. And as I'm leaving my neighborhood out of the corner of my eye, I see this little girl selling lemonade. No big deal. I drive right on past. And then I had this impression overcome me. It said, turn around and give her all the money in your car. And I thought, wow, that will be amazing. I had like $40 worth of quarters, nickels, and dimes. So I flip my car around. There's this cute little fourth grade girl sitting there. And I roll my window down. I said, how much? And she, I think she said 25 cents. And 
So I said, I'll take one. So she pours it, hands it to me. I set it on my dashboard. And then I tell this girl to cup her hands like this in front of her. And I start scooping all this change into her hand. And this girl starts freaking out. She's like, no way. I'm like, hold on. I got more. And she's getting emotional. I'm getting emotional. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. And I keep going. It takes me like 10 scoops. The last scoop, she throws it onto her table and she takes off into the house. And I'm thinking she's going to go tell her parents some dude just gave her a million dollars, right? <laughs> and as I pull away, Richard, I start to cry like I've never cried before in my entire life. Hmm. Have you ever cried so hard that you feel like you're cleansing your soul? Mm -hmm. This was one of those soul cleansing cries. I, I have to literally pull my car over, put it in park. I put my face in my hands and I just sob. And I cry, I, I cry and sob for like 20, 30 minutes. Wow. And as I'm crying, I was feeling like all this, I don't know, for lack of a better word, evilness leaving me. Um, in that moment, I loved who I was. In that moment, I wanted to be clean. In that moment, I wanted to, to, to be a good person. And it, it just, it lit my soul on fire. And one of my favorite quotes is by Ferdinand Foch that says, the most powerful weapon on earth is the human soul on fire. This lit my soul on fire. That all or nothing mentality kicks in. And I thought, if that little girl's there next Saturday, I'm giving her all my money. <laughs> so ironically, that as I'm earning as a bartender, the next Saturday on purpose, I drive by and sure enough, there she is. And she recognizes me. She's like, oh my gosh, here's the money guy, right? And I give her $20 and quarters. Uh, the, and I do this the next Saturday, give her all my money. And you know, I'll give her another $25. I do this the next Saturday. And I do this every Saturday for the next two and a half months. Wow. And every time I pull away from that lemonade stand, I just start crying like I've never cried before in my life. And I just keep doing that. It still kind of chokes me up, even when I think about it to this day. And then um, after about this two and a half months, after I've given this girl all my money, <laughs> um, I decided to go to church for the first time. Had never gone to church. Even, even as I was meeting with this bishop, he never told me to go to church because I would have said no. Um, but So here, here's the time frame. Eight and a half months, I make it three days clean. Two and a half months after that, given all my money every Saturday at the lemonade stand, I decide to go to church and I don't want to be there. I thought I'll just check it out and I'll, I'm going to be there for a few minutes and then I'll leave. So I'm sitting in the back corner and I'm looking around and the you know people who are there and on the other side of the chapel is that lemonade girl with her mom. <laughs> and she sees me and she's waving at me and, and she's like, mom, there's the guy she's pointing at me and my heart's like really starting to pound and. So I end up staying the entire time. And when, when, when it was over, here comes this lemonade girl with her mom mm -hmm. and they're walking over towards me. My heart's pounding and the mom's crying and she comes up and she hugs me and she's in my ear and she said, Todd, thank you so much for what you've done for my daughter. Hmm. And I'm like, Oh, you have no idea that I go, this has been more for me. <laughs> and she goes, no, you don't understand. She was saving for a trampoline. You put her over the top. And she just thinks you're the greatest. And I go, oh, you, again, you have no idea. And then the mom goes, we have a favor to ask you. I'm like, what's that? She goes, on Wednesday, there's a daddy-daughter date. Would you take her as her, your date? Little does the mom know she's asking this drug addict to take her fourth grade yeah. old 
you know, daughter to go on this daddy daughter date. And I'm, and I'm like, well, what about her dad? And she says, well, we were divorced when she was younger and he's not a part of her life. Would she would really like you to take her? And so I said, yeah, sure. Because there's Lindy. Her name's Lindy. She's just staring at me, smiling. Like, how can I say no? Right. So Wednesday comes and this is where my life changed forever. I go pick this little girl up. I'm scared to death. I don't even know her. Right. I go, we go up to the big Cottonwood Canyon up to this picnic site. All the dads are there with their daughters. We get, we're late. I don't know anybody. I don't even know her. And I'm going, why did I say yes to this? And we walk into this party and we're sitting there and, and we start playing games. And one of the games was how well do you know your daughter? How well do you know your dad? Right? Oh, geez. <laughs> and I look at her and I go, I'm sorry, we can't do this. You know, I kid you not. She says, let's guess. And I, I'm not lying. I wouldn't have believed it had I not been there. We almost get every answer correct. We're like, like high-fiving each other. Everyone thinks we're cheating. I'm like, we're not cheating, I promise. And it's just this surreal moment. And, and then it hits me. I'm like, you know, I'm used to waking up drunk, hungover, doing some of the most horrible things the night before. And I'm sitting here with this pure, innocent girl, and we're having hot dogs and Kool-Aid. Hmm. So surreal, right? Well, they gather everyone in after the games to say a blessing on the hot dogs and Kool-Aid, which I thought was weird. Yeah. Like, there's something wrong with the hot dogs? Yeah, in fairness, I think that's sort of weird, too. There's only so many blessings we can impart on sugar, water, and processed meat, but whatever. But whatever. I know. I know. I'm like, yeah, we're going to change this. Anyway, it was – but, again, I'm an infant in all this. I sure. don't know what I'm doing. And so this guy just starts saying a simple little prayer, and everyone's folding their arms, so I just kind of follow along. Oh, okay, I guess we fold our arms. and. Everyone has got their eyes closed. Okay, I guess I'll close my eyes. And in this prayer, I hear this voice that says, Todd, you're in the right place, doing the right thing. You've made an impact on this girl's life that she'll never forget, and I love you. And I, it was one of those moments. The only way I can describe it, Richard, is I felt love from head to toe, and I start bawling in this prayer. I just lose it. You know, and the prayer gets over. They're like, dude, relax. It's just hot dogs. You know? <laughs> and I'm like, and I go, I go, no, no, I'm sorry. And Lindy's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, these are happy tears. And it was in that moment when I decided I will never do drugs again. I'll never drink again. I will do my best to be honest. I'll do my best to have integrity. I'll do my best to be accountable. And I'm going to dedicate my life to helping other people. That was 32 years ago. And I've been fortunate enough to meet with thousands and thousands and thousands of people helping them go you know, along the same journey that I was on, or even help prevent them from going down that road. And, and it's just, I look back, Richard, and I can't believe, you know, had I not taken that sip of alcohol when I was 11, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. It just blows my mind. And uh, God's been so good to me. So I've just, it's been an amazing ride. You know, people naturally in the, in the listening of this, because we want the complete rest of the story uh, fairly quickly, you obviously say, hey, you know what? I'm going to uh, do the best that I can with the rest of my life. As far as your church story, what? how does that go from there? Is it uh, a pretty quick, you call up the missionaries and say, meet me at the stake center. I'll see you there. What are, you know, that kind of thing. Well, Bishop Taylor, again, took me under his wing. Richard was being my mentor at the same time. And I had to go through the process of, you know, getting certain, you know, callings and ordinations and getting some priesthood keys and going through all of that. And and that was kind of a, 
a process that the bishop just basically took me under his wing. I didn't really meet with any missionaries or anything at the time. It was just really Bishop Taylor and Richard Saunders, uh, my mentor, who just kind of took me under their wing and kind of led me through this process and through this, you know, um, you know, kind of navigating, going through this conversion, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, without those two, I never would have made it for sure. Do you think that those two understand the impact that they had on your life? Yes. Uh, Richard, um, I talk to him often to this, like I said, he's my mentor this very day. So when I'm, when I'm having a bad day or I need help, I call him up and he's always there. Uh, Bishop Taylor, I've met with him a few times over the years, letting him know the impact he's had on my life. I don't know if they really get the gravity of it because it is unbelievable. It is just unbelievable. But yeah, I do my best to make sure they know how grateful uh, I am for what they have done for me. What about flashing forward and and uh, now uh, recognizing that that young girl is not a young girl anymore? Does she? Yeah. Are you still connected? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I'm going to see her today. Uh, KSL is doing a big piece on my story today, and they're f- doing this big filming thing this afternoon. And Lindy's going to be there. Oh, cool. Uh, they want to know her side of the story, so we've stayed in touch, and she's fantastic. She sends me. Um, she sends me uh, clients all the time. She's like my best marketer. She is <laughs> unreal. So we've stayed in touch all these years. She's a fantastic individual doing great things in life. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been you know, it's been great to be able to have her in my life. I love that story, too, because I think all three of those individuals weren't like, I'm seeking to change the life of Todd, right? They were just people yeah. who were living what they they meant to be or, you know, knew that, that they should be doing and then followed the promptings of the spirit and, and your life is literally changed from what it was. Absolutely. Yep. They were just listening to the, the promptings and the feelings and, and they, you know, if, if you were to meet all three of them, Bishop Taylor, Richard Saunders and Lindy Davis, they're just amazing human beings who do love helping others and, and, you know, I, we, we can never underestimate the impact we can have on other people when we feel something that I should probably say something to this person, do it because you never know what that's going to do and how that could change someone's life. I want to take another break. And when we come back, I want to talk about what you're doing now, something so vital that everyone should uh, should at least be aware of. And many people could benefit hands on from being able to interact with you. I'll be less vague when we come back in the third block of the cultural hall. Best DJ in Utah.com. Won't you please go? That is if you are in the market for a DJ. Now, I haven't done a new one of these ads for a little bit, and I have to tell you, it's been pretty cool. I've been able to do some events for some lifers or converts here in the cultural hall. I uh, got to do a wedding back in, what was that, February now? Is that what? Man, this year is flying by. Anyway, if you'd like to uh, be able to party with me, that's some offer. You can go to bestdjinutah.com. We talk about how. Me being able to be at your event, playing music, coordinating things, keeping an eye on the clock, all this stuff might make your event go better. I do a lot of weddings, but I can also do birthday parties. We can just hang out and listen to music if you want as well, Uh, but you can't do any of it if you don't hop online and go to Best djinutah.com. There's a form there that lets me know a little bit more about your event. And then who knows, who knows, we could be partying together very soon. Go to bestdjinutah.com. 
Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember you can always reach out to us, contact at theculturalhall.com. Emails are so great because you can write things in them. And in the subject line, you can give me an idea as to what the heck you're talking about. Sometimes I get emails that I go, I'm not sure if this is in reference to an episode that occurred a long time ago or one most recently or what you're even trying to say with it. So I'm not going to be condescending, but put in the subject line, hey, this was a great episode or... Hey, you know what? You should really interview this person and then give me a little meat in that email. Contact at theculturalhall.com. Best part is if you get that thing where you, like I do, you don't sleep in the middle of the night and you wake up and you go, you know what? I'll send that email now. You can send that to me then and it's not intrusive. It won't wake me up. I'll get to it when I wake up. It's contact at theculturalhall.com. Todd. You now, uh, these 32 years later, uh, a life completely different than the trajectory that you were headed on back then. Um, You've touched on a couple of things, and uh, if people can see in your background in the video, uh, there is the quote on one side, but I've been drawn to the picture that's on the other side that says, mindset is everything. And I know that you've mentioned that uh, not only you have a mentor, but also that you coach people. I'd love to know a little bit about that. Yeah, no, thank you. You know, when when I finally got my life kind of turned around and I had that experience, when I made that decision, I'm done with doing that and I want to dedicate my life to helping other people. I was in my room one day thinking about how can I make an impact on on kids, especially Mm -hmm. going back to when Richard said, you're going to you're going to help so many kids in your life, right? Well, um, my nickname in high school was Sly Dog. And I was in my room and I was drawing this stick figure dog. And I went, that's it. I'm going to create an animated cartoon character. And I'm going to go to all the elementary schools in the state of Utah. And I'm going to share my story and help these kids um, stay away from drugs, believe in themselves and help other people. That was the message. And 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 so I did. I, I came up with this idea and I ended up speaking to over the next five years to 350,000 children. Wow. Unreal. And my program, I was going head to head with the D.A.R.E. program at the time. And it was just amazing. I couldn't believe the experiences I was having. And then parents would come up to me and say, hey, my kid loves your program. Would you work with them one on one? I'm like, yeah, sure. Never done it before. Didn't have a clue, but I knew I loved helping people. So I started meeting with these kids who were struggling one-on-one and I realized I had a knack for it. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm pretty good at this. I have a passion to this. And that, that opened up what I'm doing to this very day is, you know, I call myself like a, a mind mental fitness coach or a mindset coach. Um, and I've been doing that now for over 32 years and I've done over 17,000 individual sessions since wow. then. Wow. And um, I'm also a counselor up at Wasatch Recovery Treatment Center where, you know, people who are struggling with addiction come in for 30, 60, 90 days and I help them. And 
So I've been doing that. I do motivational speaking all over the world. And I, I've got a podcast myself that I'm doing. And it just, I look at all the things I'm doing. It just blows my mind. And, but, but, it, but the passion is this. I want to make a difference in someone's life because someone made a difference in my life. And what I learned is one of the greatest principles on the planet. If you, if you want to be, give it away. So you can fill in the blank. If you want to be inspiring, go inspire someone. And now you're inspiring. If you want to be loved, go give away love. And now you've got it. And I learned that at the lemonade stand, I gave away my money and I got my life in return. It was, it's, it's one of the most powerful principles I have learned through this process is that you give to get, and boy, I gave and I got my life back. And here I am sitting here talking to you today. <laughs> it just, again, like I said, it's just kind of blows my mind. There are principles of your story that I think um, can be extracted for anyone. The, people don't have to be addicted. People don't have to be on the verge of suicide um, yeah. to, to learn from your lessons uh, from your life. And so I appreciate, one, that you'd be willing to be open and, and to share those things. Um, yeah. and, and then, two, I'm hoping that, that maybe in the remainder of the time that we have that there could be one or two principles because everyone, I think, at some point sort of feels stuck. And you talk about this mental fitness coaching. I think that any of us could benefit from it. I'm not asking you to give away the whole shop uh, or anything like that, but I am curious if there is a, a principle or or two that in the time that we have that you could walk it out for people to be able to better understand it and then better their life. And then if they wanted to reach out more, they could, you know, be able to find you. Well, thank you. And I, I'm an open book. So yeah, I'd love to share all I can. Um, uh, we don't have time for that, unfortunately, but <laughs> um, the, the, I think the number one principle that I share with my clients and I share this on day one, and, and anyone listening to this, this, this applies to all of us. It's the greatest truth about us. It is the absolute greatest truth about you listening to this right now. And here it is. Get ready to write this down because it is the single greatest truth. You ready? Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with you. I have this quote on the other side of my wall, which you can't see that my clients, when they sit there, they I have them read it out loud. And it says this. The most delightful surprise in life is to suddenly recognize there's nothing wrong with you. I really believe I'm the only coach counselor in the country that will tell a heroin addict on day one that there's nothing wrong with them. And they look at me and I'll tell you the responses I get when I have them read that quote out loud is I get most nine out of 10 will start crying. Hmm. I go, have you ever heard that before? And they say, never. It's always the opposite. And see, when I was going through my addiction and my struggles is I was telling myself a story that something was wrong with me, meaning like I'm less than, I'm not good enough. No one loves me. You know, we all have this narrative. The most powerful force in the human psyche is the story we tell ourselves about ourselves. And I used to tell myself some pretty horrible things, which led to the addiction, honestly. The addiction really wasn't the problem. Mm-hmm. It was the story I was telling myself. And so one of the things I do with my clients is I help them identify that story. And the, the foundation of that story is there's nothing wrong with you. You know, 
I, you know, when you were talking about that, the uh, natural response for a lot of people is that they start into tears. I would think that you probably get some people who are like, nope, you're wrong, Todd. Sorry. Yeah. Nope. Yep. You yep. don't, you don't yep. know me. You don't know me, Todd. That might yeah. work for a lot of people. And I'm sorry you've put that permanently on your wall, but that's not, <laughs> th- that's not my story. When, yeah. w- when we've convinced yeah. ourselves so much of that, how, I mean, how do we break that down? I feel like uh, putting voice to this because a lot of people just feel stuck. That I mean, they're stuck at your step one, your day one saying, no, something wrong, can't do, don't know where to go from here. Yeah, no, that's a great, uh, a great statement, a great uh, question as well. You know, when some, if I would have heard that from someone on day one, I would have said they're crazy too. What, what that means is to your core, you're good. Um, I always look at my my client. You weren't born a drug addict. You weren't born anxious. You weren't born depressed. You weren't born a criminal. Um, those are things you learn throughout your life because of the experiences you've gone through. But if we scrape that away to your core, what that's what I, I start taking on that journey to where they finally recognize, that, oh, yeah, now I see what Todd was saying. And that's why I call it the most delightful surprise because it's like it hits you sometimes out of nowhere. It's like, Oh, wow. And I learned that at the lemonade stand. And I learned that at that daddy daughter date. You know what? I'm good. Hmm. It was out of the blue, really. I didn't expect that. I'm like, I'm good. And I can go make a difference. And so yeah, um, a lot of people do get that point where they they think I'm crazy when I tell them that but, but without fail, when they stick it out, they have to come back and go, Todd, you were right. It's pretty amazing. Do you feel like that it put in a uh, different vernacular that basically what that principle is, is the, just that you're a, a child of God, that it's essentially your godliness, but in your infantility as a, as a God? Yeah, absolutely. What follows I am follows you, you know, and, you know, if, if we say I'm a child of God, which a lot of people here in Utah do, if you ask them right after that, what does that mean? Most people can't answer that. And that's a problem. So what you have to do is who is God Mm. and God is understanding. He's loving, he's kind, he's sympathetic, you know, he's, you know, compassionate and the list goes on loving, right? He's all of these things. And what we have to understand is we're a child of that. And which means, which means then Richard, I'm love. I am kindness. I am sympathetic. I am understanding. I am forgiving. I am light. I am love. I am energy. I'm the, I'm the exact same characteristics of that. That's who I am. And again, if I can identify with that versus, um, see, I was a drug addict, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's not who I am. Who I am is all those things I just listed, you know, and that's who God is. I'm a child of that. And when we understand that fully, wow. I think it was Dallin H. Oaks. I'm going to summarize this, but he said in, uh, in, you know, basically, if knowing that you're a child of God is the most potent antidepressant on the planet. Hmm. And, um, and I agree with that. And but we got to know who God is, in order to know who we are. And because we are him. <laughs> so anyway, that makes sense, I hope. Yeah, powerful. for sure. Yeah, very powerful. And I and I hope that people um, that are listening kind of get that. And, and I it's a tremendous responsibility because as I listen to this, I think, well, what would someone listening to this want to know then after you just said what you said? And I think that 
like we get inspired, right? We have uh, general conference. We have scriptures that are inspire us for the day. We have things like, you know, like this show that people can listen to and they go, yeah, Todd was right. I am, you know, and and be able to fill in all those things. And we go whole hog for about a day. And then we go, ah, you know, maybe I'm not. <laughs> maybe, maybe I just really felt that. And, and you sort of opened the door and said, you know, that even though you've been teaching this for 32 years, your life changed on, you know, in, in that moment, 180 degrees from where it was headed, that you still have difficult times. In those times that you find yourself struggling the most, what do you do to recall all of, of this experience and, and, and be able to say, okay, I'm feeling this, but I'm not this and move on? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, all of us are going to struggle. I still have my struggles. It's always great to connect with people in those moments when you're struggling. But one of the things I do that's been very helpful, again, I remind myself who I really am, you know, because really one of the best definitions of depression that I've ever come across in my 32 years in doing this is trying to be someone I'm not. Hmm. That's what depression is because I have forgotten who I am, right? But when I remember who I am, um, it honestly relieves that in a way that I, it's just, it's really kind of mind blowing. But so for me personally, I just remind myself who I am and I go through that, those characteristics and I say it with conviction because I truly do believe it. And in those moments, it really does help. But if I'm really, you know, in a tough bind, again, I reach out to those who have my back and we all have those in our lives and we got to be brave enough and vulnerable enough to reach out to them in those moments. But knowing who you are is one of the most powerful, again, antidepressants, if you will, um, anti-anxiety, anti, you know, less than, you know, whatever that is. Mm-hmm, but uh, mm-hmm. those that's what I do. Those things really make a difference in my life. You might think I'm harping on this, but I genuinely am curious. So when you say that you say it, like, are you saying it out loud, like affirmations in a mirror? Like, I am love. I am. That's how yep. you're walking it yep. out. Yep. I am a creator. I am love. I am light. I am energy. I am compassion. I'm sympathetic. I'm brave. I'm tenacious. And I say it with conviction. And I do believe those things. Hmm. And when you first do this, you don't believe it. When I first did this in the mirror, I looked at myself. I was like, I had a hard time even looking at myself. Yeah. Um, but I've done it to where, and what's interesting is I'm not trying to say something that isn't true. I am those things to my very core, just like everyone else listening to this right now. And I promise you, if you'll start doing that, it's amazing. And, and think about this. Everyone listening to this can sing the ABC song. Mm-hmm. Everyone. How do we learn it? Through repetition. And repetition deepens the impression, right? So when I say these over and over again, it deepens the impression. In other words, it becomes my belief system. And so we got to get back to that because when we were all little kids, we believed all of this. We knew it. We had faith as big as the universe when we were little kids. We loved everyone and ourselves. And so, yes, saying it out loud is what I do, and it's powerful. There are three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, and I'll ask those of you right now. The first question is, is do you have a calling? And if so, what is it? Yeah, I'm a, a Sunday school teacher uh, for the 16- to 18-year-olds. How do you like that? Love it. That seems yeah. like that would be everything that you ever wanted. Love it. Yeah. I was, I, I was in the young men's for 18 years. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah. So I've been with, uh, you know, with the kids, basically my whole church life, basically. You may, have, awesome. you may have already answered this, but the question is, uh, if you could pick a calling, either one that exists 
or make one up, what would you pick? Oh, boy. You know what? That's great. I would want to be a mental fitness coach because so many kids are struggling. If there was a calling to just talk about their mental fitness, so think about that. They come in for 45 minutes and they walk out of there. And I do incorporate this in my lessons, by the way. I'm and sure. And they need, but yeah, I would like to be the mental fitness advisor. <laughs> Uh, before I ask you the uh, final question, I would love it if you would lead people to where, if they're like, man, this guy seems like my guy, I need to reach out to him. I want to be able to listen to his podcast. I want to follow him online for inspiration. Where do you lead people? Yeah, I have a website. It's toddinspires.com. And you can check out my podcast on there. Um, I actually have a website for that as well called beliefcast.com. And you can check that out as there as well. And then on social media, I'm my handle is TS Inspires. So you can hit me up there, shoot me a DM from there as well, and shoot me an email, whatever you want. You can even call me. My number is 801-870-4412. I have no problem giving that out because I love helping people. And uh, so, yeah. I love it. The final question that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall, we ask you to interpret it however you may, but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Wow. Um, is, again, helping other people. Um, because that's what the faith is. It's an action. It's not, yes, it's a feeling, but it's an action. You know, there's a there's a scripture and I apologize I don't know where it is but it says he who loveth not knoweth not God for God is love and if I want to experience God today I'm going to go help someone because when I help someone guess what I feel love and that person feel loves and then what what just happened is we just all connected with love and who is love love is God and so helping other people every single day giving away love remember we give to get and that is the my favorite part, for sure. Todd Sylvester, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless, Chocolate Cake Bites podcast, Brother Brent, and Miracles, I told you so, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat on the back row. We